0: You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. The Hawaii County Council recently honored Big Island Mayor Harry Kim for his 12 years working tirelessly and guiding the island through so many disasters. It's been a busy time, and the end of his term as mayor snuck up faster than he expected. Kim reflects on his time in public service.
1: Days are so fast, days are so busy, and I don't know if you know, I get up before the sun gets up, and it's every day, seven days a week for I don't know how long, so this is really the first day because of different events that I've been thinking, my good, it's, you know, the Sunday's just around the corner, I work through Monday morning, and that's just around the corner. As far as what I'm going to do, someone just asked me that, you know, I'm not in any of your panel discussion, when he asked at the end, you know, what am I going to do? I said, I don't know. I didn't even think about it. I do know one thing I'm not going to sit around waiting to die because I'm not ready to die yet. Well, <laughs> Other than that, I had one dream, and it hurts when I think about it because oh, I had a very, very beautiful a waterfront cupola lot that I wanted to give you know, to my granddaughter, A beautiful coral and fish and nature's ways. And it's the only thing I ever cherished in my life of materialism. And I really mean that. I, I'm just not a materialistic person. And that was so special. Uh, but uh, Madam Billy took it away, and she gave it. And now I don't have that, so I just got to think what about what will be next to drive me to want to, you know, look forward to the next day?
0: Yes, I I remember, you know, when that happened uh, during the lava inundation, and you could empathize with those other homeowners who lost uh, the property they loved.
1: Oh yeah, just what, you know, I tell people there's a difference between losing property and losing, you know, something that's part of you. And when I learned that, uh, especially during the eruptions of the 90s and even the 80s. And I'll tell you, uh, the, the people of Kalapana not uh, separating those of Lelani, but people of Kalapana was different. Uh, Kalapana was—I mean, Leilani and Kapoor was basically people that bought the property, and you know, there's a special place of their home for some of them. Others is a vacation lot, but when Kalapana and other places of Kaimu was covered by lava. This was uh, a people's lifestyle. This is where families for generations were buried, and they would tell you who planted the tree and made the road, and the canoe landing is in the Honus, and then you really begin to feel what they were losing, you know. They're literally losing part of themselves, and uh, so obviously not minimizing the loss of people who lost so much as far as their homes. but. There is a difference, and I, I learned from them of the the love of a life uh, lifestyle in the land that goes with it.
0: Well, that was a a sad spot. Uh, you know, i uh, you know, we all make plans, and then life happens, and you have to make other plans. Uh, you know, and I don't know if you were quite ready to lose this past election. Oh, uh, you know, I know
1: it's. First of all, you know, to go back I did not want to be a mayor. I had a job all worked out and I really entered that first one only to uh you know, hush up my friends who were bugging me because I had a job with the State Department at UN and a matter of fact people remember I signed up two or three days before the deadline and I immediately left for Honduras to work. And really, never thinking I was going to even remotely get elected. And one thing led to the other. This last time, uh, truthfully, people know I did not care to come back. It was just uh, people. urging for various reasons, which I did. I ran the same way all of these years. No campaign organization, no fundraising, you know, and of that, and, you know, you don't really expect to win, especially the first time. And this time here is because people were dissatisfied with certain things and wanted things, you know, made better, so I put my name in, but still, uh, no campaign organization or fundraising. And the disappointment of the loss of, of this is only one, really. You felt that what you did, the way you ran office, is what people wanted you to do. And I, I would not change anything of that except for it was just one emergency of the other. And, but that's experience that experience was a good thing to have. But the, the loss factor, you know, I've said it before because it was in reference to the way I campaigned, and I just said it, you know. Uh, the, my campaign slogan was always the same, judge me by my work. That's all I ask, judge me by my work. And, you know, if it's uh, what you want in your mayor, then thank you, and, you know, I ask for your support. If not, thank you, and I accept that. And when I was asked about the loss, I said exactly that. You know, it's a clear sign by the people that, uh, the, what they want for the mayor was not in me. And my goodness, who wants to be someplace that, you know, people feel that you don't, you don't represent what they want? And really, it's not a sour grapes attitude or racialization. rationalization. I, I totally know and accept that. And there's no regret of running. There's no regret or sorrow of losing.
0: What are you most proud of?
1: I really believe I achieved uh, what I wanted. I wanted people to trust their government. When the very first uh, interview in the year 2000, and they asked me what my goal was, I said, you know, I just want to uh, make government or something that people are proud of their government. And I know that a big part of that is for them to trust their government. And I'm proud to just say I can look back of every dollar spent and the projects that uh, you know uh, dove into and completed or did not complete. I felt that things were good and right for the people, and I have absolutely uh, no regrets of any of that. Whether the choice was good or bad or right or wrong, you know, people would judge that, but inside I felt it was the best thing for the island. I you know I offended some people of the Wahu Maui, and Kauai, and I was not intended to say that, but this is my home from birth. The only time I left Hawaii is during the military and college. Other than that, 70-something years have spent of those 81 years here. And uh, you see so many changes. And uh, one thing that uh, I always brag about and pride, so sort of prideful of is uh, a people of Hawaii, the uh, type of people, their values. And I see that so, you know, so different today. I see the people of Hawaii that have come in uh, obviously, for economic growth, and I say so much dominance of the use of the land of, for, to make money. Whether it be of this or that, doesn't matter. It is not to make Hawaii a nice place to live of a family and community. It is of people to come here that, to make money. But there's a great sadness in that, and I'll wrap that side of it. Uh, you take Maui, Hawaii, and Oahu. Uh, any of those three islands, uh, the average home for the average person is beyond reach because the average home is 700000 and up and more. And I ask well, of you, who do you know in a middle class income can ever earn that much? But even of that of sadness, because the average home is, uh, let's say, any of the islands again, we're talking about five or six or 7,000 square feet. And even that seven thousand. I remember asking his broker once about the uh, lot. What does a seven thousand square foot lot cost in a while? And he said, That's a little high side. If you ask me between five and six thousand I can give you a seven, he said, That's a high side. And you know, you, you kinda chuckle inside because you know, Hawaii Island, if you say seven thousand square feet, except if it was a business place, people uh, would say Are you joking? I mean, that's, you know, such a small parcel. So it's a lifestyle also. And the sadness is of seeing the people that this is their home not being able to afford to live here. And I really do wonder about this generation and especially scared for the next generation. And I think you know that for those three counties there the past couple of years, uh, Their population numbers are going down, and this is the only island that's going up. And I relate that to basically one thing. Uh, if I take Oahu, if I am a school teacher and my wife's a school teacher, we would struggle tremendously to ever own that six, 7,000 square foot. Property house with a new house because it would be in a seven hundred thousand and above, and that's a lot of sadness that those people of that occupation would not be able to afford to live on any of those islands. Do you wish you could?
0: You wish you could have done more for housing.
1: On that, uh, I don't care how much uh, I do on that. Uh, I feel that you know. Hopefully, number one is to. It affects everything. It seems like I'm skipping the subject, but I'm not. Mm -hmm. One of the loves of Hawaii lifestyle, especially of the old Hawaiians, is to be able to go to the beach and lay out and swim or camp or whatever, just to relax with no charge except to get there and the food you eat. And uh, hotels, natural uh, resorts, and the timeshares and everything uh, grab up your faces. So, one of the things I remember way back when, on this place called Kwaniki, because the public was demonstrating against hotels there because it was zoned, we were so lucky the owner came to see me after numerous other owners just said, forget it, after you know fighting a the community. Said, this special owner, Bill McMorris, said, You know, I just bought this place. I know the background. Uh, You know, if you have any ideas on how the community I said, well, if you're serious, ask the community. What would they accept? And it was nine months of very difficult community meetings, and that. But when you have time, I want you to ask people, anybody, about Kohanaiki and Ooma. That's almost two miles of oceanfront coastline that is now a county park. Where you can drive up to the beach, you know, and park your car, a place for the bathroom and showers, and go off coast, go swim, and even camp. The people who zoned it to change the zone because they were zone resort, and there's no hotels on it now except one acre lots and a golf course in the back. And uh, they, you know, I told them, I know you have to make money, but you don't have to make that much. But they made that. They paid for the roads to go in for the public. They paid for the campground and the cleaning and showers and the bathrooms and the gathering place. And he's one of my heroes. And I told him at the beginning... You know, I need you to set a template for developers, and uh, I need a marriage between a community lifestyle and uh, industry or economic growth. Uh, surely, the two can exist, coexist, and he's proven it. And I'm proud of that because it took a developer to adjust his plans. It took a developer to make a sacrifice and meet with the public. It took the public to, you know, meet with the developer and. After months of back and forth, you know, it, it was a beautiful marriage, and I'm proudest of that.
0: Are you hopeful you have two Hilo boys in Kaikahele and uh, Congressman Case, you know, representing Hawaii uh, in the nation's capital?
1: You know, we all remember the man by the name of Senator Dan Akaka, Matsunaga, and you know, I remember Akaka because he and I go way back. I mean way back when we were both in a DOE, I met him. And when he became a, a congressman a senator, I remember asking him about uh, life up there. And I said, what's your main goal? And he said, to spread the law, Harry, spread the law. And I don't, every time we'd see each other, I would, I'd tell him, thank you for spreading the law, because they need it up there. So I'm very hopeful in regards to, I tell people that uh, President Obama would not have been president if he was not born and reason why. He was born and raised in Hawaii, he, came, he grew up with an attitude of regards to not of his color, but of him. And of Matsunaga was the most important thing. And while he was up there, nobody can remember much about what he achieved except of his Peace Institute. You know, and, and I'm very hopeful that of these people, they're from Hawaii, the values of Hawaii are different. I'll make a common sense analogy. To this day, you know, in, in this election, I'm still shocked that we, the people of the United States, still issues about white supremacy groups, issue, of, you know, of blacks not uh, being given opportunity to vote. And I've thought, and I've said it many times, my goodness, how can this day and age those things are still an issue? And I think uh, I don't care who you are, what you stand for, and in regards to fiscal, you know, conservativeness or not, if you are from Hawaii, you come there from here and go there with a special value of people that is just uh, here different than any place else in the world. Uh, I don't care who you are. If you're from Hawaii, you know, that's within you, whether you even know it or not.
0: And that was Harry Kim, who talked with us in these final days as Hawaii County mayor. Kim says the one thing he feels badly about is the high COVID-19 death count at the Okutsu Veterans Center there in Hilo. He wishes our response had been stronger early on in the pandemic. This is the conversation on statewide member supported Hawaii Public Radio. Up next, your backyard quiz.
1: Unihoa, olepuwa, unihau,
2: <laughs> ukawa, ua umuloga ini. Ulan umau ukau
0: o Wow, it's hard to believe that 50 years ago, Joni Mitchell released her hit song, Big Yellow Taxi. It combined a catchy tune with an environmental message. The song had been or has been covered many times over the years with versions by Bob Dylan and Counting Crows. You might think the line, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot, refers to Hawaii, and you'd be right. Mitchell was inspired to write the song during a trip here. The line with the pink hotel... A boutique and a swinging hot spot is a reference to the Royal Hawaiian Hotel in Waikiki. And Foster Botanical Gardens is referred to as a tree museum. She would later headline two shows in the 70s, but she debuted in concert here in Hawaii as a special guest for another singer-songwriter icon. For today's quiz, we want to know who is the artist and what venue did Joni Mitchell perform in. Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689 if you think you know the answer. The first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right.
3: The cave paradise put up a parking lot With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging
4: hot spot Seem to go, that you
0: don't know what you've got till it's gone It's a paradise, put up a parking lot Put
4: up all the trees, put them in a tree museum
5: Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareet Hawaii, which represents real estate businesses committed to supporting affordable housing statewide, along with civic and community initiatives for residents. Learn more at nareethawaii.com.
0: You know, a recent survey of nearly 1,500 Hawaii businesses found that 40% of the businesses were only able to pay partial rent or none at all. That's just one of the dire statistics of the second Hawaii Commercial Rent Survey uh, released by Island Business Management. It's currently conducting a national survey, which it hopes will provide data for lawmakers to push a rent relief program for commercial tenants. Ryan Tanaka is the president of Island Business Management, and he spoke with The Conversation's producer, Jason Ubai, about the survey results.
6: We all have someone we care about, and somebody that we care about has been impacted by the pandemic. The results of our survey has been sobering, and the business outlook is grim. What we found is over 80% expect revenue to decrease this year and next year. During the six-month period from March to December, 40% have not paid rent in full and 10% have not paid rent at all. In our second time period, which is our forecast period from October to December, one in four businesses expect to miss full rent from October through the rest of the year. We also learned that a staggering only 5% were able to restructure their lease and only 11% received rent reductions from their landlord. And we talk about this rent restructuring because this is what allows businesses and landlords to set new expectations on the past and going forward.
2: So one of the uh, statistics that, uh, regarding rent relief from landlords, that those who did actually only received less than $3,000 in rent relief. And I mean, that sounds like a a real small amount for a commercial real estate rent.
6: It is, yeah, It is a very small amount. And what we tried to do was quantify the total unpaid commercial rent for the state of Hawaii. And in partnership with Dr. Tian, our chief state economist, we learned that the first two surveys consistently showed unpaid commercial rent of $60 million per month. So it's already been nine months into the pandemic, and some experts say we're only halfway through. So if we sit back and do nothing, this could easily become a billion-dollar problem for just unpaid commercial rent.
2: The survey was just done for Hawaii businesses, so now you're doing a national survey that's ongoing. Can you tell us more about that and what have you heard anecdotally from uh, different markets?
6: Yeah, we we definitely um, started with Hawaii, and if our two surveys here in Hawaii are any indication, then this is a national problem. There's a strong need for commercial rent relief across the country, and we need to help support this major part of the U.S. economy we're hoping to use national survey data to isolate the need to a specific population and determine which businesses have priority. So, for example, um, certain sectors are disproportionately impacted and are suffering much more than other sectors. We found that restaurants, retail, hospitality, entertainment, and all of their supply chains have suffered and we're trying to funnel money towards those areas. So we're trying to look for solutions that will bridge people and stimulate the economy like the restaurant card and the pivot grant. These programs currently being implemented are helping, but we're hoping that the national survey results will help us to provide this information to Congress so they can provide additional federal intervention to help support the commercial landlord-tenant situation. This will allow landlords to give their tenants a break
2: so it's a win-win situation. You know, you're pushing for a commercial landlord-tenant grant program. How's that process going right now, uh, both on the state level and on the national level?
6: You know, we we actually took the hard data from the first two surveys, and we presented it to state and county lawmakers. But there wasn't enough federal CARES money left to solve the entire problem. We've been in discussions with Mayor Langiarty and with his business background. He has said he understands the urgency and the need to address commercial rent relief. We also received strong support from city council through their unanimous approval of resolution 20-208 urging city administration to establish a commercial landlord tenant grant program. So now we're presenting to the newly elected city council members to bring them up to speed. And on the state level, we met with Governor Ige. So, his response was positive, but there is a lot of other competition for the federal CARES Act money. So he was only able to allocate between 5 and $10 million, which isn't enough to make a meaningful difference. For now, we're waiting until more funding is available.
2: Is this something that, uh, that will be on the agenda during the next uh, legislative session?
6: No, we're—well, it could be. We have begun discussions with the state legislature but we're actually being recommended to go directly to Governor Ige. We do have a proposal with both the state and the city asking them to establish this program. And we've provided hundreds of support testimonies, including 13 trade associations with over 10,000 members. And this program would direct federal money, not you know using our local budgets, but federal money to our local businesses and our local families. Right? We care about our neighbor and our friends and protecting their jobs. So the city initially did respond to our proposal by expanding the city's small business relief and recovery fund for Honolulu by $75 million. They also increased the grant amount and the revenue thresholds. And we're trying to say that that's a great start, but it's not enough. We're still looking for additional relief, whether through CARES or the next round of stimulus funding which is currently being worked on by Congress. And the dollar amount needed, it increases as time passes. So to start with, we believe about 150 million would be appropriate. That amount of money would be able to subsidize 5,000 businesses with full rent for two to three months. Now you're able to support somewhere between 40 to 80,000 employees. And it would be a domino effect to improving the economy because this means more tax revenue for the states and counties and it will prop up their government budgets.
2: With a lot of these businesses hurting and uh, unable to pay rent, have you seen evictions and higher vacancy rates uh, compared to, to last year?
6: Vacancy rates remain low for retail at 6.5%, which is only a 1% increase from the same time last year. And this is according to Collier's third quarter retail market report. Industrial vacancy rates are holding at 2.8%, and office vacancy rates remain much higher, still over 10% on Oahu. What's happening is large landowners are reporting around 80% rent collections across the board. Their base rents, right, average base rents on Oahu, are still holding at $4.19 per square foot. So landlords see these numbers, and they expect tenants to continue to pay pre-COVID lease rents. On the other hand, tenants have a different lens because of the severe and ongoing government and restrictions, which has forced many businesses to close and then partially reopen, and some businesses have remained closed and will remain closed until foot traffic returns. So how do we expect, or how can landlords expect these tenants to pay off the unbearable burden of the accumulating back rent, along with open going forward at half capacity at best? the challenge that we're seeing is bridging the gap between tenant perception and landlord expectation. So with new market conditions going forward, tenants are unable to carry the unbearable burden of pre-COVID lease rents. Instead, they're wanting to restructure their lease and move towards a percentage rent scenario. This means they would only pay a percentage rent or a percentage of what they actually make. This type of structure allows the commercial landlords and tenants to become partners and emerge together out of the pandemic. According to our survey, only 5% of leases have been restructured, which means the vast majority of these deals are still pending or are currently in discussions.
2: Have landlords been uh, receptive to this kind of uh, partnership?
6: Uh, Landlords right now are waiting. They want to wait and they're, they're using the wait and see approach. So rather than striking deals, while some are, they're waiting to see what happens with COVID-19. Same thing with tenants. Tenants are hesitant to just reopen and continue to pay the pre-COVID lease rent. You know, Both sides are, are waiting, and we're, we're going to have to see how the vaccine plays out. There's a, a new travel restriction right? that's requiring you to have a negative test in hand upon arrival. So this has already affected visitor arrivals, and those numbers are down in about 20 30% since some of the recent highs in November.
2: There's no relief program within the next uh, few months. What do you see for local businesses coming into 2021?
6: Well, that's that's actually what we're trying to do, right, is, and that's the whole purpose of the commercial rent survey. This is to better understand the economic impact from these government-imposed restrictions and to see what would happen if they don't receive any additional relief outside of the existing financial aid programs. Jason, think about your own experience during the last nine months. Walk down Kalakala, Ko'olina, or go to your favorite shopping center. There's still far less foot traffic today than there was before COVID-19. So we've been looking around the state, and we see that many people are still struggling and this all ties back to the commercial land tenant relationship. And we know there's going to be a downward spiral if something happens to our small businesses and if they don't receive some kind of a financial lifeline. What we're finding is that commercial rent relief would address the most pressing need facing our local economy, which is to keep businesses in place. So you know, like we talked about, our our friends, our loved ones have a job to return to.
0: That was Ryan Tanaka, president of Island Business Management, talking about the findings of its Hawaii Commercial Rent Survey and a push for a commercial tenant rent relief program. It's partnered with Seattle Bay Center for Housing Economics on a similar survey on a national level. Uh, That survey is open until December 18th. You can find links to that survey uh, on the conversation page at hawaiipublicradio.org.
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to reconnect with the art and museum spaces on Paohana Friday evenings until 9 p.m. More at honolulumuseum.org. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists.
2: Hi, I'm Mark Nepo, author of 7,000 Ways to Listen. And next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about staying close to what is sacred. Beginning Sunday morning
6: at 11.
5: Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Honolulu Habitat for Humanity, dedicated to the idea that everyone should have a decent place to live and committed to bringing people together to build homes. HonoluluHabitat.org.
0: Honolulu Civil Beats Reality Check today looks at the latest scandal swirling around the Honolulu Police Department regarding the overtime racked up by officers for the COVID enforcement uh reporter uh, Christina Jedra is uh, joining us today. Good morning, Christina. Good
3: morning, Catherine.
0: So, yeah, you were
3: able to find out some information from the mayor about how we're going to pay for this money, right? Right. So just to recap, uh, the COVID enforcement teams that the Honolulu Police Department has been using to ticket folks for not wearing masks or gathering, um, that is now disbanded because the department has identified it identified cases of overtime abuse and um, originally that overtime was going to be paid by federal cares funds now it's city taxpayers left holding the bag because of these uh, possible improprieties yeah it doesn't look so good
0: when we're using uh, federal money uh, improperly
3: it yeah it does not look good Um, and I think city taxpayers will be pretty unhappy about this but uh, that's a situation we're in according to the mayor and so, um,
0: gosh, I mean, I know the investigation is still ongoing within HPD. You know, what can you share with us about that?
3: Right. So uh, Chief Susan Ballard spoke a little bit with the police commission this week about the situation. Um, she's putting the blame on her supervisors for basically letting the officers underneath them get away with this. She says she's going to hold the supervisors accountable. Um, at this point, we don't know exactly how much money was um you know, improperly spent on on these overtime logs. I mean, we have officers that over a five-week period claim to have worked 200 or 300 overtime hours. That's on top of their normal shifts. So it's quite remarkable if they uh, were able to work that much. Um, And Ballard wouldn't say whether she's confident officers really did work those hours. She said it's all part of the investigation, which could take months and months to get to the bottom of yeah, I mean, that
0: was really eye popping, like, you know, 300 hours of overtime. You know, and, and one certainly wonders, you know, how does this factor into their retirement, you know? So uh, lots right. of questions need to be answered.
3: That's a great point. So for the older officers, um, you know, you get a high three. Your retirement's based on your, your top three earning years. So um, it's a big benefit if you can boost your income toward the end of your career.
0: Right, and those investigations are still ongoing. Uh,
3: but, yeah, it uh, it is
0: pretty outrageous if, uh, in fact, uh, you know, that overtime uh, wasn't properly
3: uh, earned. Right, right, and so we hope to get answers on that. And something really important that I want to note is that this overtime abuse situation only came to light because of journalism. Um, Hawaii News Now broke the story by getting a document leaked to them, um, and there was no announcement from the the police department, no press conference, nothing like that. They only confirmed it after the the news station already had the information. And so, you know, when the mayor and uh, one of the police commissioners this week call the department and the chief transparent, um, you know, it's, that's not really how it, it happened. And, you know, uh, you have a second story online today also
0: about an audit uh, and uh, what HPD could be doing to prevent um, misconduct in the ranks. That's
3: right. So the city auditor um, did a report uh, in the aftermath of the Loha scandal, and they found that HPD really needs to do a better job of preventing misconduct and analyzing its own misconduct records to address trends. Um, it, in particular... It, what I found was most interesting is that many times, you know, even when officers are disciplined for misbehavior of some sort, um, a lot of times that discipline is reduced in arbitration through the union's grievance process. So it may be the case that the officers who um, are identified for abusing overtime, even if they are suspended or fired for that, that could get reduced um, in the union's grievance process, and it's possible they could end up with just a slap on the wrist. Okay, and, and this audit, just to be real clear, though, it doesn't really address that um
0: overtime issue it's just a broader correct more, uh, mis- it's just
3: misconduct in general mm-hmm. right
0: okay and um, gosh so so this audit now that it's out then then what happens
3: well, the, the department did say that they agreed with most of the findings. Uh, Chief Ballard wrote in a letter that she will take it to heart, and she acknowledged that the, the city uh, police department has not done a good enough job uh, analyzing their own data, so she says they're they're going to do a better job from here on out.
0: Okay, lots on uh, Chief Ballard's plate, but thank you so much, Christina. Thanks, Catherine. That was reporter Christina Jedra with today's Reality Check. To read her stories, head to civilbeat.org. We now open our mailbox to share your feedback. Following Tuesday's story about Hawaii's mayors advocating for tighter restrictions on travelers coming into the state, Lloyd from Maui called to share this. We should look at history, look at Marseille, France, the bubonic plague, 200 years, not one case, because
4: the mayors and the officials kept in line with the quarantine restrictions on the 16,000 boats that came through, and then a mayor got involved in a business scheme, and they unloaded a ship from the Orient without the quarantine period, and the rest is history after 100,000 people perished. We have to really support the Kauai mayor, Kaukami, if that's what he believes. We don't want to get to a point where we're scrambling to wish we had done something different in the past. And a smart leader understands this. An economics teacher looks at the metrics and misses the point. Wishing everybody a healthy and safe holiday season.
0: We also received a couple of emails following yesterday's Seed Diversity Show with farmers from the Hawaii Seed Growers Network. Uh, Dieter writes, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate your recent features on farming and gardening. I believe that this is one of our most important issues, and listening to the farmers has been amazingly inspiring. We also heard from Tara Waller, program manager for uh, Ho'ola Farms. Uh, just listened to today's conversation show and wanted to thank you for producing this episode the panel was so generous with their wisdom and sharing the work that they've been doing and the interview with nancy's student was inspiring awesome job for myself i would be thrilled to see today's episode turn into a monthly program so that we can continue to talk about growing and seed keeping in hawaii and maybe begin to normalize glenn's assertion that agriculture needs to be institutionalized in our state's economy in a way similar to how tourism is just a thought hey thanks for the feedback email us at talkback at reach out via social media on twitter or facebook or call our talkback line 792-8217 Today, we take a ride in a big yellow taxi. The Joni Mitchell song inspired after a trip to the islands. In the first verse, she references the Royal Hawaiian Hotel in Waikiki. Another line in the song goes They took all the trees and put them in a tree museum, and they charged the people a dollar and a half just to see them. That was referring to Foster Botanical Garden in Honolulu. Now, Joni Mitchell has performed at least three times in Hawaii, according to a chronology of her appearances. Mitchell performed on June eighteenth, nineteen seventy-two, at the Waikiki Shell with Jackson Brown. A Honolulu advertiser story said she would be northshoring it all week before the show. Two years later, she returned and performed at the Honolulu International Center, now known as the Blaisdell Center. But in her very first appearance uh, before a crowd in Hawaii, uh, it happened actually in March on, on March twenty-eighth, nineteen seventy-one, at the HIC. As a special guest during a James Taylor show, the two were said to be dating at the time. And uh, congratulations to our winner, Carrie, who uh, tells us that she was actually at that concert. We also got another call from uh, a listener out in Oregon who says she, too, attended that concert. Jenny, and I am very jealous. I wish I had been there. That's today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, please send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org.
2: So close your eyes You can close your
5: eyes It's all right I don't Support for HPR comes from Alexander and Baldwin, owners and managers of office, industrial, and retail properties across the state. A and B, building partnerships in Hawaii for 150 years with a commitment to provide for the needs of island communities. On the next Science Friday, Sir David Attenborough joins us to talk about threats to our natural world and why he's not slowing down at age 94. If you get
1: to whatever age you are and you can still put two words together and still walk about
5: and still, I hope, put two thoughts together, then you should do so because
4: life's so much more interesting when you
5: do that. Plus, China lands on the moon. All on Science Friday from WNYC Studios.
2: Beginning this afternoon at one.
5: Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors the Kahala Hotel and Resort and PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training.
0: Monday marks the 79th anniversary of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. There will be no large gatherings, as in the past, as the pandemic still looms large. But there will be virtual events to commemorate the historic event. One of them will take place at the University of Hawaii ROTC Center in Manoa. It's where the Hawaii Territorial Guard Unit was formed when the Army cadets were called into action December 7, 1941. They were the roots of the famed 442nd All-Japanese American World War II Unit. Akira Otani and Ted Tsukiyama are but a few of our decorated veterans. It's a part of Hawaii history that film producer Stacey Hayashi knows something about. Her film, Go for Broke, recently won a film festival award. She and musician Jake Shimabukuro have lent their time and talent for a virtual event to mark the anniversary. It takes place Monday at 1130 a.m. Here's Stacey talking about what's in store.
4: So it'll be the first ever, because of COVID, actually, it's a blessing and a curse. We couldn't involve anybody, but because of COVID and we can't gather, we can actually involve everybody from all over the world. So, so Jake Shimabukuro, he's going to play the national anthem. Well, actually, we recorded it already, but um, the 100th, 442nd, posted the colors. Medal of Honor recipient Hershey Miyamura will be our keynote speaker, and General David Bramlett will also speak. It'll be a commemoration of the 79th anniversary of Pearl Harbor Day, of course, which is sad. But also... It'll be a celebration of 75 years of peace and friendship because we weren't able to celebrate that. You know, like on September 2nd, a lot of veterans were planning to come into Hawaii for the the 75th anniversary celebration. But, you know, we were in our second lockdown and so they were told to not come and they were very disappointed. So we're going to include them and, you know, hopefully this will make up a little bit for that. So people have been sending in messages and tributes from all around the world, and it, it's really heartwarming to see, really. Like, it started here in Hawaii, you know, that dark day, um, and then the locals responded, right? Like the University of Hawaii ROTC program, they were activated as a Hawaii Territorial Guard. So we have some of those members. In fact, Bishop Fujitani was of Varsity Victory. Well, he was HTG and then VVV So he's in our invocation, and um we've got bob lee who was also an htg member and friends of ted sukiyama um you know sandy sukiyama's father who sadly passed away last year um but but anyway yeah so it's it'll be the first of its kind and it's actually pretty
0: cool and (laughs) tell us about the messages that you have recorded from all over the world
4: yeah, so people are sending in stuff from everywhere, like Tendola and Musatello, which is where uh, Senator Inouye lost his arm and earned his Medal of Honor. You can see the the hills. Um, and then also where Bini Hayashi was killed by a sniper. Um, that's really touching as well. But But also, you know, these messages from Japan. You know, like people don't realize that the military intelligence service really helped to rebuild Japan after the war ended. And um, Akira Otani, who was a member of the Hawaii Territorial Guard and Varsity Victory Volunteers, you know, he, after uh, I don't know if it was after the war ended, but anyway, he was MIS in, in Japan, and he has, also has a very heartwarming story of, you know, like, of the locals and how the guys from Hawaii really made a difference, you know, with their humanity and
0: aloha. You've been working on that uh, 442nd go-for-broke film for so long. Uh, you know, you've had the, the comic book. You've just gotten to <laughs> mm-hmm. know these veterans, and and we're losing them. But yeah. you have had the opportunity to share those stories up close and personal with them.
2: Yeah. I was actually yeah.
0: looking at some of the pictures in my phone, and I was looking at the day of filming that you folks were out at the Waipahu Plantation mm-hmm. Village and uh, looking at a young Dan Inoy, uh the day of the bombing. <laughs>
4: Yeah, and we had Danny Noe's son out there and his granddaughter Maggie as well.
0: How would you explain to our listeners what December 7th means to you, knowing the deep personal stories and the friendships that you have made talking with these veterans?
4: Well, in previous years, you know, we've always gathered at Pearl Harbor, you know, and, and I would go with the veterans and, you know, drive them there, you know, and they stopped driving. The most recent one that I, I brought veterans to actually was the 75th anniversary in 2016, and that was right before we started filming my movie. We brought uh, Bishop Futitani and Ted Tsukiyama there, and they were with the Hawaii Territorial Guard you know in action defending Hawaii on December 7th and and it was just I don't know it, it's it's such a mixture of feelings you know like you're of course it's sad you know people died and and it was such a dark day for Hawaii and to know what how local people suffered and were killed and how they but also the heroics you know I mean like these everyday people you know how they responded and, and their stories are so so amazing because, you know, they didn't ask, nobody asked for this, right? They're just thrust into this position. And, you know, December 7th is the the thing that, you know, brought the United States into the war. And it, it's funny because, I've you know, since the movie has been done, we, we won the World War II uh, Normandy Film Festival Award for um, the, the outstanding feature film. So we brought the film to Normandy and we showed it there. But, you know, even though people from all all over the world go to Normandy and gather there, they really have no idea what happened on December 7th in Pearl Harbor, you know. And and so bringing those people into the fold and sort of, because I, when I reached out to them in the beginning, I was like, hey, do you guys want to send a message for December 7th? They were like, what is that? You know, and I was like, it's the reason that we were in the war. You know, we were attacked.
0: Sure, there are gaps in history.
4: Yeah, yeah, it, there's this disconnect, you know. It's like, of course, they know about Normandy. They know what happened locally, but they don't know what happened halfway across the world that ignited that all, you
0: know. So then as you uh, prepare for this special ceremony over at the UHROTC program, you're going to remember all those veterans who we have lost. Yes, and actually Ted Tsukiyama's
4: birthday, his 100th birthday would have been on December 13th, so... You know, I actually wrote that into the movie script, you know, about how he they, he didn't even realize it was his birthday until he saw the date and we didn't we just didn't have time to include it so we had to cut it. But you know, it's these are, you know, really real things, you know, and even Akiro Tani, he his father was hauled off rudely by the FBI in his bathrobe, you know, yet he volunteered the next day for the Hawaii Territorial Guard. And and his birthday is like January twenty sixth, so he'll be a hundred. And you know, and that's kind of about the time that the the Japanese Americans were kicked out of the Hawaii Territorial Guard. So he had a pretty awful birthday in 1942, too. You know what I mean? So it's just, uh, mind mind-boggling. Well, people can tune in on Facebook, or we're trying to get the the link so that you know people who are not on Facebook can see it as well, like so from Jake Shimabukuro's website and maybe our our YouTube channel or something, but. For now, that's the link we have. <laughs> for Jake Shimabukuro <laughs> so, music and Go For Broke, so either of those two, uh, those handles. So it's actually Go For Broke Hawaii movie. Right. So if you search on Facebook, I mean, if you search on Facebook, you can just search for Jake Shimabukuro and his right. page will pop up. Okay. And then for us, Go For Broke movie. That's you know, and just click on the link and, and like us.
0: That was film producer Stacey Hayashi talking about an upcoming December 7th virtual event. And we will have those links that she mentioned posted on our website, hawaiipublicradio.org. That's it for this Aloha Friday. Looking ahead to next week, Hawaiian names for native birds. We learn more about the process. Got a bird story to share? Call our back line. Leave us your comments. That's 808-792-8217. You can also email us at uh, talkback at org. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation HPR. Tweet us at hi conversation And find us on Instagram at The Conversation HPR. Visit the conversation page on our website to listen back to our shows. Our program produced by Lillian Song, Harrison Patino, and Jason Ubay. Backyard Quiz Theme written for us by John DeMello. And uh, we have Gypsy 808 to thank for our theme music. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday. Pick up the conversation.